the thought process about what you're going to eat or how much you're going to eat or the either quality or quantity, if that is what you're focused on, you're not going to be present necessarily to really enjoy whatever's in front of you. And that is just, we don't, we're, we're hardwired for joy. We just are. And so where is the joyfulness in that? Where's the nourishment and nurturing aspect of what food can do for us? Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmette. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello, everyone. We are so excited to bring back today's guest, Betsy Weiner. And Betsy was actually on episode three of our podcast, which was quite a while ago. And we loved having her so much that we're having her back again today. And we are talking about a very different topic today. We're talking about orthorexia and disordered eating. And if you want to hear more about Betsy and other, you know, what she's doing in the world, all these wonderful things with meditation and yoga and just everything she's up to, go back and listen to episode three, because this is going to be a little bit different today. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Good Health Saunas. I have had my Good Health Sauna for over a year now, and you guys, I love it so much. From the moment of purchase to the delivery and setup, Good Health Sauna staff, they've been absolutely amazing. They've answered all my questions. They did a great job with the setup. And I have started this routine where I'm working out in the morning, I'm taking a sauna, I'm showering, I'm refreshed, and I feel great for the day. And I just feel relaxed during the day. I'm sleeping better at night. And I feel like I'm really adding to my overall health and happiness. And I'm also removing toxins from my body. And I feel amazing. Infrared saunas produce penetrating heat to help you sweat and heal your body from the inside. Sweating on a regular basis in your good health sauna can help you feel rejuvenated. There are so many health benefits of regular infrared sauna use that include detoxification, immune system support, muscle repair, chronic pain relief, relaxation, deeper sleep, and so much more. I've been using my sauna now regularly for the last several weeks and love how relaxed I feel, especially when I do it in the evening as part of my routine. It really helps me unwind from the day and improve my sleep. So why not bring the benefits and convenience of the sauna experience into your home with a commercial grade Good Health Sauna? Good Health Sauna has three stores, one at the Mall of America in Minnesota and two in Wisconsin, in Appleton and Waukesha, but they ship anywhere in the U.S. For more information on the various sizes and options and for your special offer for all of our listeners, head on over to their website www.goodhealthsauna.com and mention the Art of Living Well podcast. Welcome, Betsy. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks. 
Happy to be back, I should say. Yes, and I'll, we actually yeah. had you on another time. It was a bonus episode we did. And during the pandemic, kind of during more of the height of the pandemic, and I know you did a lovely meditation on it. So definitely we recommend you going to look at that probably sometime in 2021, if I had to guess. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for sure. So as we dive into this episode today, you know, it's it's a serious topic, right? And a lot of people don't really even know. I don't even think this word orthorexia was on my radar until recently. I had heard it a few times, but didn't really understand what it meant or what it was. I don't know if one of you want to jump in and talk about to our audience or with our audience about what that word even means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to hear from Stephanie too. I, I think there's it, it was not a word that I knew when I suffered with it. I was anorexic and actually thought I was just super healthy because I only ate what we now call clean food or at a, for certainly for a period of time was just living on juice. And so orthorexia, as I understand it, is a disordered eating pattern that stems from an actual fear of eating food that's not healthy, of ingesting food that's considered unhealthy or unclean is the definition that I use now. But Stephanie, do you have a different understanding or, or definition? No, that's exactly my understanding and how I would describe it as well. Yeah. And yeah. the only thing I would add to that is I've heard people say that it can go as far as that it's like damaging your well-being because you're so fearful of ingesting foods that are not good for you. Oh, absolutely. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think any disordered pattern is going to be harmful, but this one especially, and uh, I can, I can only speak to my own experience, which is it went hand in hand with my anorexia. So they were close partners in the pathology that, that I dealt with for a period of time. So yeah, it's, it's can't certainly, I I don't even want to say it can be damaging. It is damaging. It's an un- I don't even want to say unhealthy, because sort of plays <laughs> into, the, into the language of it, but it's a, certainly being fearful about what you're eating is never going to be good for you, no matter what it is. But if you're so afraid to eat something that you would consider unhealthy or unclean, that's going to create a problem on numerous levels. And so how does someone know if they have this unhealthy relationship with food. And you said yours went hand in hand with anorexia, which can or cannot be the case, but sometimes people don't have what we would call a more traditional eating disorder, meaning more like the bulimia and, you know, anorexia, but they definitely have this disordered eating because like you said, it's the fear and the stress, which as we all know, fear and stress can cause a lot of issues, not only emotionally and mentally, but physically within the body. So how does, I mean, I guess just, you know, talk, maybe talking about your experience as well, but how do you know if you have one, you know, what are signs and symptoms? Because I think that awareness is really the first step. And I'm sure many of our listeners, you know, maybe they've had these, these experiences or they know someone who is potentially has an unhealthy relationship with food. Yeah. Wow. That's, and it's a big question too. I mean, you know, depending on the world that you live in and the wellness world that I sort of occupy in in different ways, it's everywhere. I would see what I would consider like pro orthorexic marketing everywhere, you know, eat clean, 
detox and I know both you guys run a detox. So I'm, I'm not speaking, I'm not trying to throw you guys under the bus. That's not no it. No worries. Okay. Um, but that language definitely plays into this wellness industry that wants us to do a number of things. Certainly they want us to spend money. So it's propagated by money. It's multi-billion dollar industry to tell us that the food we're eating is dirty. (laughs) And yeah, there are times where if, you know, you're not eating organic produce or something, you might go, oh my God, it's dirty. Like there's a very small portion of the population that can afford organic fruits and vegetables. So we're telling the rest of the population, the food they're eating is dirty, but that's not necessarily the pathology. I mean, that's sort of a bigger issue, right? But you ask the question, how do you know? When something is taking up so much of your mental energy, when all of your energy is being put into, is this clean? Did this come from this farm? Do I have to wash it with this particular fruit and vegetable wash? Because that wash is the one that's the clean one. The other one might have a chemical in it. It starts to, it's like this avalanche of thought it's so messy. (laughs) It's just a, it's like a labyrinth of, well, if I only have the organic, whatever, then I could, you know, make sure that this next thing I eat is going to only be in this, in this category of clean food. What is clean food? We often start now obsessing. Does it have gluten? Does it have sugar? Does it have anything processed? So we start to now we're removing more and more and more foods. And again, I'm not saying that some of these things there are some truths in it, right? For sure. But I think when it's taken over our thinking, when it's taken over our daily life, now we're planning everything around it. Certainly, I know for myself and for clients that I've worked with that struggle struggle with this as well, you know, you won't eat at a restaurant because you don't know. And again, if you have celiac disease, you can't eat something that's been put on a griddle with a, you know, a hamburger bun or something. That's not what we're talking about. This is I can't eat at a restaurant. I don't know where the food came from. I mean, I've literally been with people to where they will bring their own food. I did it or I wouldn't eat. I would eat at home because I knew exactly what I was putting in my body. And then, you know, so when it's taken over your life where you're not enjoying your life and certainly eating is one of the few pleasures that we really have in life. And now that's gone. And all we're doing is obsessing. It becomes a nonstop thought fest of, is it clean? How clean is it? Where did it come from? It's, I can only have this. It's very restrictive. So now at that point, it's taken over your life. There's no, there's no you in there. It's now just become the disordered pattern. I hope that answered the question. No, it totally did. And like, just thinking about, like, I'm getting anxious just listening to you talking about, (laughs) like, like all of those things. I'm like, wow, I didn't think about that. Or like, wow, the wash on the vegetables. And like, when I think about this kind of pattern or like, that's, I didn't even go there in my mind. So you just opened a whole other can of worms that like, I'm like, wow, I can see where that would cause someone so much anxiety. It's like striving for perfectionism, right? Like how Absolutely. Can, yeah. And, and so Betsy, when you were going through this, what, you know, I'm sure just knowing what I know of you, you, you did some deep work to try to uncover like kind of the root and where this was coming from and what, you know, what helped you get through that? But just, you know, can I ask you a very personal question? Like, where do you think this stemmed from? 
Yeah. I mean, I think it was multiple things as a kid. I struggled a lot with like bad stomach, like anxious stomach. I grew up in a kind of disjointed home. And so, you know, it was the seventies and eighties and nobody was like, are you doing okay? <laughs> yeah, nobody, <laughs> you know, it's just nobody noticed. I don't know. So I had a lot of stomach aches as a kid, probably just an anxious kid. So I think starting from a young age, I didn't trust my body in a lot of ways. I didn't trust that if I ate something, I would feel okay because I would eat and I wouldn't feel good. Well, I'm sure that, you know, you have a brain in your gut. Both of you ladies know this as well Mm -hmm. as anybody. This is the work that you do. So you have a brain in your gut. So yeah, lots of stress. So from a young age, I often would restrict eating, not because I thought I was fat or any other tried to control. I what I was trying to control was to not feel sick. So it started at a young age, that relationship with like, oh, if I don't eat, I'm kind of okay. So that was sort of on and off. By the time I was living in Los Angeles, I started, you know, moving into that yoga world a little bit. And at the time I was working as a photo stylist. So I was around a lot of people that were thin and tall, which I'm not tall. And so and and in the yoga world, what started to happen was this, you know, we all were, were vegan, like there was that. And I was like, oh, vegan. Okay. What, what's that about? I don't know. You know, I knew what a vegetarian was, but I, again, this was the late eighties, early nineties. So I didn't know. So I started kind of going down that path, like, oh, ahimsa. Okay. So non-harming. So if I don't eat an animal, that's going to be better for me spiritually, psychologically. So then that started. So I started taking things out of my diet. Right. And then I started noticing all oh, like I'm losing some weight. And I was like, okay, there was like a switch that flipped for me. And I don't know if it was because when I was younger, that relationship with not trusting my body, for me, the control piece was huge. It was like, oh, this is something I can totally control. At the time, my life was pretty out of control. Yoga to me felt like this safe container where there were lots of other people. And it was Los Angeles in the early 90s. So lots of other people doing this. So I had this community of people. And I think not long thereafter, I read a book called Fit for Life, not to throw like the diamonds under the bus on this either. But I read that book and it was like, oh my God, food combining and look at all this. And I started just, you know, and this is like pre-internet, right? Book after book, after book, after book of how can I eat? What's going to be, if I eat clean, maybe I won't feel sick. And the more clean I ate, the skinnier I got. And then I would feel better. I mean, it was just a vicious cycle. So for me, it was like these two things really went hand in hand. That was like the, I guess, the beginning of it. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because it makes me think about like, okay, so you're saying, you know, maybe you you had these stomach aches and it could have been anxiety. It could have been a gut health issue. Like you don't really know, Right. There are lots of people walking around with stomach aches for various reasons or people that do have like health issues and changing your diet to eat in a healthier way can help those issues, right? We all can agree on that, I think. So as a community, as you know, we're all health coaches here as people, we need to figure out how to guide people to figure out what's good for their bodies without crossing that line where it gets to the point where you're taking the pleasure out and you know it's causing anxiety and there's too many rules and it's like such a fine line 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I think it's, you know, there was a period of time where I just like wheatgrass juice. I just lived on wheatgrass and an apple a day because I thought that was super healthy. My definition of what I thought was healthy was that I was a fruitarian for a period of time. I mean, I've told my kids, my kids know about this sort of journey. Not, they don't know everything, but my daughter has joked with me. She's like, you really were a yogi mom. You lived on light and air. And we've sort of joked about it. I was, there was a moment where I'm like, what if I could, that would be amazing. You know, I think there's like another piece of it though, which is as coaches, you know, we also, I don't, I don't really think of myself as a health coach in the sense that, like you just said, it's going to be different for everybody. I think asking people, what's your definition of health? What does that look like for you? What does that mean? That word can be so loaded, right? Mm-hmm. Again, it's sort of the wellness industry, I feel like has co-opted this, this word to say like, well, it's healthy. Well, what does that mean? I can never have a Snickers bar. What if I like it? I just, I feel like the stress, like you said, Stephanie, it's like the stress of eating a certain way is going to be more detrimental ultimately than just eating. (laughs) I mean, depending on obviously, unless you're living on like cheeseburgers all day, which I don't know. And I guess I think back to, I mean, one, a couple of things that resonate with me from what you said is living in the moment, which is something, you know, we've talked about even on other episodes with you, but just being present, because if you're always fearful and worried about what if I eat this non-organic dirty dozen food, what's going to happen to me? And then, you know, thinking back to just like where those areas in the world where people are living the longest and they are not stressing about food. They are, you know, the centenarians, this goes back to the blue zones and how they live. And it's like we we all, and it, this is easier said than done because we're all just not living in a little town where we can walk everywhere and like be with our families all day long. But if I think about how those folks are eating, one, some of them are eating more carbs than others. Some of them are eating more fat than others. And it's all about like what is working for them and their body. And a lot of it has to do with your ancestry, right? But they're not stressing about what they're eating and they're eating it in community and in a calm environment. And they're not doing crazy workouts or, you know, doing any crazy fasts and things like that. And so I think it's like getting back to like loving yourself, loving your body, right? And tuning but in to yourself. And tuning in. Yeah. Well, and I think that's ultimately the key. You know, when I've had clients in the past that have said, when they first reach out, they'll say, oh, I, I really want to lose weight. And I'm like, well, I'm not the right coach for you. I'm not the right guide, mentor, whatever. What I can help you do for that, what I can help you do is change your relationship to food and your relationship to your body. You may or may not lose weight. I don't know. But if you don't change the relationship, nothing will be sustained. You can't. It's not possible. It's not. Or maybe it's possible, but it's there's no joy in it. Like you said, knowing yourself, listening to yourself. And ultimately, you know, that I guess in, in terms of the orthorexia piece, like you said, if I'm freaking out about this, you know, dirty, oh, I ate an, an unorganic, you know, strawberry, that's it. My toxic load. I got to, you know, (laughs) eat charcoal now for three days and fast and, you know, or, or even like the realm, the world of fasting. I mean, all of these things, they're fine, but what's your relationship to it? You have to look at your own intentionality around it. What's the intention of doing it? Why am I doing it? 
For what purpose? What do I hope to get at the end of it? Like, what am I trying to get out of it? You know, I had a family member who my brother, who's, you know, he's not the most emotional guy. I love my brother so much. And I remember after my mom had come to visit me in California and I was not a healthy weight at all and not a healthy relationship to food and and whatever. But, and I guess she had called him anyway, he called me and said, what's going on? Mom says you're not eating <laughs> like that. And I said, and I said, no, no, I'm eating. I'm eating. I just, you know, I eat an apple every day or whatever. I had some answer. Like I eat really clean. I eat really healthy, you know, whatever. And, and he said, to what end? And I said, well, then I'm going to be super healthy and I'll, you know, I'll be able to lose a little more weight, which I did not need to lose any more weight at that point for sure. And he said, well, then what? I, I just didn't have an answer. Right. And, that's- and then what? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, and that's resonating with both of you. <laughs> I'd like to hear more from you guys too. Like, where does that land? Right. Totally. I mean, I think that like, like I mentioned earlier, this word wasn't on my radar in the light. It just came on my radar recently, I would say. And when I think back to my own experience, you know, as I went on my own health and wellness journey, I would say that, you know, there was a time period where I was like, I had fully cut out gluten and I had fully cut out dairy and Stephanie knows, knows this already. Maybe you do too, Betsy, but like I was super strict about it. And if I was going somewhere, I would, you know, like I would not veer off my path and I, and it stemmed from in the beginning, it was really because I was having issues. I was getting rashes and I was um, trying to get to the cause of, something that a dermatologist told me I had. And that's what ended up making me cut these foods out to begin with. And then when I cut them out, the rashes did go away. So I was like, this is amazing. I'm going to keep on this path, whatever. But what ended up happening is like, I would want a piece of pizza or, you know, something that wasn't okay in the way I was eating. And it kind of felt shitty. Like I, I felt like I wasn't able to enjoy it. And I think the deeper I went into my own work, the more I realized, okay, I can't eat gluten all the time until I'm blue in the face because I don't feel well on it. I I do get rashes and same with dairy. It gives me a bad stomachache, but I've figured out my threshold of what I can eat so that I can enjoy it and feel good about it when I want to eat it. And I don't have to live with all these rules surrounding me. I'm really tuning into myself and what I feel like is good for me. And I think that's been huge. And I'm trying to do that with all of the health and wellness things that I, you know, subscribe to. Yeah. I mean, it's a great example of just, you know, we can, and certainly if there's a problem for sure, stomach aches and rashes. And if somebody says, you know, you could cut this out and see if it works. And at first, again, and there's like a tipping point at first, you're like, okay, I'll try that. And then you start feeling better. And then you're like, well, oh my God, well, I can never have that. I'm going to, this will happen right. or that'll happen. Yep. But it sounds like you were able to get to that place of like, you know what, this is too much for me. So, I mean, throwing the question to you, like, you know, why does someone like you not become, let's say totally orthorexic and to- you know, down the rabbit hole and somebody else, it flips a switch. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I just want to throw out there that that took a number of years. It wasn't like, oh, this, (laughs) this, 
I, I know what's happening right now and I'm going to change. Like I had to do a lot of work to tune into myself and to really figure out what worked for me. But I don't know what turns a switch on somebody and what doesn't, to be honest with you. I don't have the answer to that. Yeah. No, I think you just, you said it. It was for you, there was, you know, it's your own experience. It's individual for everyone. Sort of like asking why somebody becomes an alcoholic or a drug addict. I mean, at first, maybe they're just at a party. I mean, right. You don't, you yeah. don't know. And so right. for some, for some people, you know, I tried, I, because of my stomach issues, I was on elimination diets when I was younger. I, I mean, I tried everything to not feel bad when I stopped eating. I didn't feel bad. I was like, Oh, great. I'll just stop eating. Right. <laughs> well, and it's kind of like a good excuse not to, to like perpetuate the clean eating. So I can't eat it because I'm sensitive to gluten. I mean, I, I did this myself. You know, this one doctor told me I need to eliminate all these foods, no corn, no soy, no dairy, no peanuts, like all the things. And now we're going on vacation and we're cooking and this is my diet, you know, and this is how I have to eat. And I think for me personally, I think it kind of gets to control, which is something Marnie and I have talked about recently on the podcast. And all of a sudden it becomes this area you can control in your life. So you, you do it because you're, you have some symptoms, um, unwanted symptoms. And, you know, I think for me personally, it was like when I started becoming a health coach and learning about all these different diets, dietary theories, I started eliminating foods and I did, I felt better. And some of my, you know, symptoms went away and I healed my gut and my skin was better. And, and then I started losing weight and then you get complimented on your external appearance. And this is, I think for me, where it really happened because I was never someone growing up that anyone ever said was thin, that anyone ever said was fit or in shape or had muscles or nothing. And so I changed my diet and I'm working out more and I'm immersing myself in this health and wellness space, which is a, a good thing, right? And I was feeling less stressed than my corporate job, but yet not everything I was doing from a physical and an emotional level was healthy. And it's something I'm still working through. It's much better, but I'm still working on it. And I'm talking to my therapist about it, who will occasionally tell me, I think you're thinking about food too much, you know, and it's not even me. It's like what I'm feeding my kids at this point. It's not even necessarily like what I'm putting in my body. And, you know, when you have teenagers and they're running around and eating a bunch of crap all the time, it starts to then get, that's a trigger because I think, God, I used to eat that food in high school. And then I was unhealthy and I had all these stomach issues and I had skin issues that I didn't know what they were. So I'm trying to control my kids because I don't want them to go through what I went through. So it's now coming like full circle. Well, and it's interesting because yeah. when, when you say that, Stephanie, it makes me think about how we talk about guiding others or asking others to tune into themselves and to figure out what they need. But if you're telling your kids what they need, then they don't get to figure that out for themselves, right? So like, right. I remember when I first cut out gluten, I was like, okay, our whole house is going to be gluten-free. And even Jordan, yeah. I mean, they were all like, what? <laughs> like, are you yeah. crazy? Yeah. I was like, okay, that's not happening. But that was my initial instinct was like, okay, we're going to do this together. And yeah. I'm glad that that didn't happen because I think that everybody needs to figure it out for themselves, even kids. And you know, I will say with my oldest, you know, he did a food sensitivity test and I knew he was sensitive to dairy. And he was like, well, I'm not going to do anything. I'm like, well, this is just information. You can do with it what you want. And then like two or three weeks later on his own, he was like, you know, I think it is the dairy. So 
if we teach them and show them how to tune and listen to their bodies and do some, you know, when they want, do a science experiment, but give them the tools and the power to do it themselves, then that's, I think, really what we want to teach our kids and versus saying, absolutely not no junk, no this, no that. It's only going to make them rebel. Let's face it. No one likes to be told what to do, especially not teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I And I think you're both speaking to that. You know, it goes back to maybe if you pull it back to like a bird's eye view, what you've both said, and hopefully what I've said too, is just getting to know yourself. How How do I tune in to this beautiful gift that I've been given, which is this life in this moment and this body. And how do I tune into this? This, this is going to know more than anything. But if I don't start to discern what is the voice of the true self versus what is the voice of the parents, the society, the book, the podcast, the somebody telling me, I mean, and I, and I love the blue zones. I think that's great. What Dan Buettner's done is incredible and open people's eyes to, to Mediterranean diet. But, you know, again, it's like for someone like me, I see that and I'm like, mm, slippery slope, slippery slope for me, yeah. right? I can only have this. I should only be eating these things in this way at this time. It's like the complete opposite of what he's even saying, right? <laughs> which is like, yeah. enjoy your food, slow down, you know, all these things. But instead... I hear it and see it through the lens of like, mm, uh-uh, not, not, but that's, that's, I have to know myself. And so I think we can say it's sort of like, I have a lot of friends in the sober community. I keep going back to that who are like, well, yeah, I thought I knew myself. And I was like, I can only have wine on Mondays and then I'll do hard liquor on Tuesdays. Cause that's what that's <laughs> I'm what not I'm laughing, like. but <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, it's we we make up a story. Yeah. We make mm-hmm. up a story. So how do we discern what's the story and what's the true what's the true self? And now a quick shout out to our sponsor Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. I discovered Organifi about three years ago and fell in love with the gold chocolate blend, which I enjoy in the evenings. I love that it contains ashwagandha, which reduces stress and supports a healthy cortisol level. And it really gives me that fix when I want something chocolatey or sweet in the evening. And it's perfect and nice and calming before bed. And I'm really enjoying the Organifi green juice, which has a ton of superfoods in it. And it's so much easier than juicing. And it's also great if you struggle to get your greens in. Each Organifi blend is easy to use by simply mixing it with water. It's great on the go. And there's no compromise in quality for taste. Organifi takes great pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods too by heading over to Organifi.com slash living well. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash living well and use our code living well for 20% off your entire order. Because we can tell ourselves the story like it doesn't matter if I if I eat garbage all day. I can just eat garbage all day. That's fine. Whatever garbage is, 
I mean, you can have a definition, whatever you want. It could be a unorganic strawberry, or it could be a, a jumbo sized bag of Cheetos, which is nothing wrong with a jumbo sized bag of Cheetos. It's just a food object. Like we can create all these stories around it in the meditation world. And we can call it like the add-ons. Sharon Salzberg calls it the add-ons. It's like a thing, but then we add all these things to it. It's just a thing. Mm. And so now we've created a story and we don't even know what the thing is. So my hunger is telling me something. What is it telling me? This beautiful gift that I've been given, this body, this life, what does this particular DNA sample need to thrive? And like in Minnesota this time of year, people that are like, I'm on a juice cleanse. I'm like, in January? Okay. (laughs) It's freezing outside here. But if that works for you, that's great. You know yourself. Like, I I don't know that I've had a leafy green in weeks because it's cold. I just want warm cooked food. You know what I mean? So we create all these stories around it. So whether it's blue zones or vegan or vegetarian or paleo, or like we all know, like, oh my God, it's just, it's like a fire hose of information. When are you going to just ask your body, what do you need? You know, Betsy, I share a recent example with this where I got really hooked on eating a certain way for lunch. And I was like, I have to eat a vegan lunch. And it was going on for over a year or two. And then I'm all of a sudden I realized I need more protein. And I don't care what the blue zone says about animal meat or when you should eat it or whatever, but I need to eat more. I was literally like throwing away food, like leftover chicken that wouldn't go bad. It would go bad from the night before because I couldn't eat it for lunch for two days and no one else ate it. I'm like, well, this is stupid. I like the food. Why am I listening to what someone else said is a good, healthy lunch and that I shouldn't eat the animal meat for lunch. If I know my body needs more protein and I can digest it well, and my constitution is such that I can have it and everyone is unique and different. So I, I think it's easy, especially for people that are in the health and wellness space. And we're following a bunch of folks on social media that are doing these extreme things. And it's interesting, all the biohacking and fasting, but I'm not going to feel bad about myself for not doing it because it's just not, I don't need it or it's not good for me. You know? So it's like, you have to be able to cherry pick and be conscious and aware of how your physical, mental, emotional state is going to react to these things that you do because they're not for everyone, but it's hard to not, listen to the diet culture out there. Absolutely. And I think you, you nailed it when you said like, even for me, I, I do love learning about all these different things that are out there and like, you know, fasting, for instance, when I think about like, you know, initially when I learned about it, it was to help someone with cancer, you know, kill the bad cancer cells. And maybe in that instance, if, if a person wants to go on a long fast, that could be really beneficial to them and worth trying if you have a cancer that, you know, you're trying to fight in many different ways. And so, and now, you know, it's come into like the mainstream world, the fasting and intermittent fasting. And I think being able to take all of this information that's out there and decipher, like Stephanie said, what's good for you and what works for you and what's, you know, something you want to learn about, what's something you want to maybe implement in your life, if it's not going to cause you stress and anxiety and take over in a way that's not feeling good inside. And I think that's the bottom line is 
each person needs to figure out what they want to incorporate into their life in a way that's good for them. <laughs> that's perfectly said. I, I mean, I think that's really perfectly said. That's that's the idea. You're the only one ultimately who knows. You're the only one who can know. Don't outsource your ability to to nourish yourself. And I, I mean, I guess that's the other piece is it's like, where's the pleasure? Where's the joy? Where is that idea of self-nourishment? What does that sound like, look like? And I think Stephanie, you said it too, or Marnie, or we all said it about like your ancestry too. There are entire groups of people who like don't have the gene to digest dairy for most of them, right? It doesn't culturally or, or ethnically or whatever. And so, okay, maybe take a look at that. Maybe it's just, you know, I mean, I'm Jewish, so I grew up eating like meat and potato, like heavier foods, like cabbage and right. So do I like those things sometimes? Like, I I think sometimes it's okay. Sometimes my body craves some of those things. So that's also, it can be beneficial to understand that a lot of those foods are comfort foods. There's a reason why it's comforting. There's a reason why it feels nourishing to your soul when you're you know, go to the church basement and have a jello salad, which we got to do with our neighbors all the time, which was awesome. And I was like, oh my gosh, hot dish and jello salad. This is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Not what they're serving at the synagogue, but I like it, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But I think those things have then they have a different energetic experience within you as well. You know, there's a joy that comes with it or a memory or something like that. But you know, if we're not present to it. And I think that's what happens to the, the thought process about what you're going to eat or how much you're going to eat or the either quality or quantity. If that is what you're focused on, you're not going to be present necessarily to really enjoy whatever's in front of you. And that is just, we don't, we're, we're hardwired for joy. We just are. And so where is the joyfulness in that? Where's the nourishment and nurturing aspect of what food can do for us? Oh, absolutely. You said that perfectly or beautifully, I should say. (laughs) Not perfectly. It just popped out. (laughs) Beautifully. No, it's okay. I'm wondering if you can share how meditation and yoga have helped you come to where you are today when it comes to disordered eating. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it's, it had, it literally saved my life. I think in multiple ways, you know, the physical practice of yoga was my entry point, like for most people. And unfortunately, I think at the time I got into it for all kinds of other reasons, wasn't necessarily the healthiest thing for me, right. The sort of physicality of it. However, it wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have had the opportunity for the other parts of yoga to be revealed if I hadn't been there. So I think it was twofold. You know, one was the physical practice itself. I had to start to remind myself that my body could, was capable of doing powerful things. So there was a long period of time where I thought just being skinny would be enough for me to like press into a handstand or like float through or like all these things that I had seen. But I think at a certain point it started to feel like, well, I wonder if I fed myself better if my body could, you know, do other things, more strength focused things. That being said, I had a little bit of a tipping point more than a little bit for myself. Things got pretty dicey. So when the meta, when my doctors were telling me sort of what the repercussions of this way of 
eating, not eating were doing to me, I had to make a choice. And although yoga was a part of my life at that point, I had to step away. I wasn't teaching at that point. So I had moved back to Minnesota. But at that point, I was introduced to really simple, just breathing meditation, nothing fancy. It wasn't Buddhist meditation necessarily or yogic meditation, but learning how to focus just on my breath. I would say that even when I got better physically, I didn't get better mentally. And I will tell you that even where I sit today, I would say I'm about somewhere between 70 and 85% mentally, 100% physically. <laughs> like okay. super in uh, very, very good, consistent, you know, taking care of this, this vehicle. But when meditation really entered my life was probably in the early 2000s when I met my then teacher. Um, tantric meditation was really about how to concentrate and contain my energy for my well-being. And I think what happened was when I started confronting who I really was and this voice that had been telling me how unworthy and fat and unclean and toxic and all those other words, when I had to really look at her, meditation, for me anyway, gave me an opportunity to sit with her and offer her love and compassion. I had to gather my own energy to look at that and say, wow, that's a lot of pain to carry around. That's a lot of discomfort to carry around. Are you sure that this is what self-love looks like? Trying to control everything, trying to be a certain size or a certain weight, trying to look a certain way, trying to tell yourself that if you just eat clean, if you're just healthy, if you're just that, then you'll be okay. All of these contingencies. So I think meditation at that point, although it had sort of been there and the yoga had sort of been there at that point, when I started to engage in those practices, it's almost like you're wearing like a hundred coats and just slowly it was like, I just started taking off one coat at a time. The meditation was a way of like revealing as opposed to adding something. It wasn't that it was like the reveal, the taking away of something. So like we were talking about, you know, the voice that says you have to do this, or I read that I have to do that. Like we've all been saying, what I started to hear was, the question, why do you have to do that? What is that going to give you? Where is that coming from? So I had to enter a relationship with myself that was different. And ultimately, I would say, you know, there were a couple of things that really flipped the switch. One was when I read Tara Brock's book, Radical Acceptance, which it's been around for a long time. And I had read it previously and sort of set it aside. But at the time when I read that book, when I finally reread it, I should say, and every chapter is more amazing than next. But I got to this point where I was like, what if the most radical thing I did was to accept myself? That is radical as a woman. That is a radical act to just accept what is right now. What if I didn't change anything? What if this is just what it is? And I could love it, love that person, love that soul anyway. So that was one piece for sure. The other piece was, I think, consistency of practice over time of starting to see or reveal the self that isn't troubled by the anxiousness, the constant fret of, did I eat that? Should I not have had that? Maybe I should try, you know, 
cleaning this out of my diet? Should I mean, all of that, like you said, Marnie, it makes you feel anxious just hearing about it. So for like, what if, wait, what if that doesn't have to be my reality? What if this other thing is possible? But I had to spend enough time in the what if the other thing, I had to be in the other thing often enough. So it got to the point where I'm like, I'm going to have to love myself enough to do it differently. What's the alternative? The alternative is feeling shitty. That I knew. That's easy. Loving myself, that's hard. There's friction there. What is that? So I had to get courageous. I had to get curious. I had to get that sense of the same approach to that curiosity about gathering information about like different diets or different clean eating or different, right? All these, I became a health coach. I became, right? Like all those things. I had to have the same curiosity about what if something else is possible? And then what does that look like? So meditation really was the thing for me anyway, that gave me an opportunity to get to know myself in a way that I never knew was possible. And I had to commit to that. I had to love myself enough to want to show up like that. So that's really the meditation piece. That was lengthy. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I am still stuck on what if the most radical thing I did was accept myself? Like that is uh -huh. so profound when you think about it. And when you think about like diet culture and media and all of the images and things that we're bombarded with every single day, no matter where you look, right? Our kids, like so, social media everywhere, it's basically telling you not to accept yourself. That's the message yep. we get every single day. So I can't even imagine what the world would be like if everybody accepted themselves as they were right now, right? Like it would, then we so wouldn't need different. to buy anything. All these companies <laughs> would go out of business because we would, right? I mean, we need to look inward and not outward. And the way our world works is we're all looking outward at what someone else has or a product or a person. And we're not, you can't like have that mentality and also love yourself at the same time, right? Probably not. Right. But, but it, <laughs> maybe, but okay. It sounds so easy, Betsy. Like, okay, yeah. I started doing yeah. this meditation and now I peeled <laughs> off the layers and all the coats are gone. And I love myself. But how does that, I mean, there are people, including myself that are like, oh, meditation. Like we all know the benefits at this point. Most of us, our listeners have probably dabbled in it at some point, tried it, at least maybe one of the pod, one of the meditations that we've delivered like yours on our podcast, if nothing else. <laughs> so where do we start? What like baby steps, what like tangible action steps can someone start to do immediately? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a huge proponent and, and this is something that I, I share with my clients too, because I do a lot of the people I work with will say like, I just can't meditate. I just can't get my mind to be quiet, which always is so funny to me. I'm like, nobody can get their mind to be quiet. Yeah. Busy. That's doing what it's supposed to do. You wouldn't ask your heart to stop beating. Your mind is made to think. Right. So, you know, that's acceptance right there. So start with that. But what I will tell them is start by just taking one breath every day. Wake up, sit up. If that feels okay, you can do it while you're still lying down. But the minute you open your eyes, either while you're lying down or sit up and put your feet flat on the floor and take an intentional inhale, an intentional exhale. That's it. Just a breath. Uh -huh. Try it for 30 days. Just take a breath. Just feel where you are in that inhale. Feel where you are in that exhale. So to me, that's the most tangible because it's right there. 
and it's right away in the morning. And now you've created a simple habit. You don't have to do anything fancy. You don't have to light a candle. You don't have to set up a space, which all those things are great and important maybe down the road. But if you're somebody who's like, I just can't, I just can't, it's another thing to do, then take that out of the equation. And you have to say to yourself, I love myself too much to not just take a breath every day. That I can do. Mm. I can take a breath. That would be the first place to start. That's what I would say. That's great. I I heard something similar. It was probably from you, actually. <laughs> something <laughs> similar to that years ago. And I started taking 10 breaths in the morning when I wake up in my bed. Like I don't even get out of bed. I'm laying down. I put one hand, my left hand on my stomach, my right hand on my heart. I lay on my back and I take 10 breaths. And then I think about the day and I jump out of bed. And it's like pretty quick. I mean, it's but I, it's something I've been doing for a long time now. And I, I struggle a little bit with the, you know, sitting for 20 minutes meditation practice on a daily basis, but this I can manage to do every day. So the one breath is a great way to start. Yeah. I mean, what have you noticed since you started doing that? I just think I'm more in tune to myself. I think, and I think, I mean, I, I'm doing more meditation now than just that. So it's kind of progressed over time. But I think that when I'm questioning things or when I am feeling out of balance, I say to myself, okay, I just need to like sit with it, if that makes sense. And the answer will come to me. And that sounds so out there, but like that is literally, it works every time. I'm like, okay, like I, I don't like I was talking to my kids on the phone yesterday and they wanted an answer on something. I'm like, I don't have the answer right now. And I may never have the answer, but I need to like just sit with this for a few days and think about it. And then and you guys should, too. I told them the same thing. I'm like, you guys think about this. We're not going to make this decision right this second. And then, you know, see how you feel in a few days. And so I like to use meditation for that. I don't know if that's the right the right way to use it or not. But for me, it seems to work well. I think it's absolutely the right way. I mean, there's there's no aim or goal to meditation. You're meditating so that it's giving you an example of how to live the other, how many, how many other breaths do you take in a day outside of the 10? It's showing you how to take all the other breaths in your day. That's what the 10 breaths is doing. That's what the one breath is doing. That's what the one minute of meditation is doing, is showing you what's possible everywhere else in your life. It is a practice. There's no, there's no right or wrong way. So the fact that it's giving you the spaciousness, ultimately, it gives you the space to not react. This is the radical acceptance. How can I accept something if I can't see it for what it really is? It's not possible. I've created stories about it. I've created all kinds of feelings about it and judgments about it. And it's right. It goes on and on. So now I'm so immersed in the labyrinth and the, in the maze of it. Right. And we love all that. We love to like replay the story and we attach to the story and we believe it's who we are, but even the 10 breaths, even the one breath is like, what's possible outside of that. There's something possible outside of that. So yes, going to make you more discerning. It's going to make you less reactive. You're going to give yourself a lot more grace, a lot more compassion for yourself and self-understanding. And yeah, it sounds maybe easy to say, oh yeah, just go ahead and sit down and meditate and you got it. But 
I don't want to say that it's easy, but I also don't want to say that meditation is hard. It doesn't have to be hard. So do what works for you. Eventually, over time, you may feel drawn or magnetized to other practices that are longer or deeper or different. But you have to start with with something somewhere and give yourself the love and compassion to just say, I'm just going to take a breath or 10 or whatever. I That's such great practical advice for everyone. And you can do that throughout the day. Start in the morning. And then when you notice yourself maybe starting to react or get agitated or stressed or anxious, take another breath and take one more intentional breath. So that's it. Yeah, for sure. This doesn't have to be simple or this doesn't, this can be simple. This doesn't have to be hard. And I think it just helps everyone. Like we want to meet everyone where they're at. And this is like a good entry point for everyone. Yeah, I think so. It changes your relationship to yourself. You know, I say it a lot, but I I call the work that I do like couples counseling for you and yourself, right? Because like a lot of time, we spend so much time focusing on our relationships with other people. You know, we want to, and, and so, you know, and especially after dealing with an eating disorder, you know, same, same thing, like, oh, it's this happened or that because that happened in my life or this happened or whatever it is. But ultimately, if I'm not taking the time to talk to myself, to get, to really get to understand myself, what's, I'm just spinning my wheels. It's just more external. And you said it too, Stephanie, about like, it's about my voice, my inner experience, you know, and Marnie, you said it too. I, I think it's just not to just belabor the point, but, you know, I think that's the idea is just, how well can I understand myself, have love and compassion, self-awareness, that patience and same loving kindness I would offer my best friend or my dog or whatever. How can I offer that to myself? As far as I know, meditation has been the place that I have learned how to do that, but it has taken, it's been like, you know, 15 years. Like I woke up and then I was better. (laughs) No, definitely a journey, right? (laughs) Definitely a journey. And, you know, when you talk about relationships, having that relationship with yourself enables you to have truly deep, meaningful relationships with others. So think about your relationships with people in your life that you want to improve. How can you do that? It starts from within. For sure. You know, so. Sure. Yeah. And ultimately, just to take it back, right? How do you know what to eat? You have to listen to yourself. You have to listen to your body. You have to be kind and loving. And if somebody's telling you that what you're eating isn't clean and because it's not clean, it's going to make you sick, be very careful. Listen to your body. Ask the question. Ask the question. Be be really patient with yourself about it because I think we can, you know, again, that's my my perspective is it, it can be a slippery slope, but you know, you can love yourself and still eat Doritos. Yeah. <laughs> or apples or whatever you want to eat, right? Yeah. Whatever all, it is that you want to eat. All and everything. As I have said to clients and for sure to my kids, food is food. You can decide if that food after you eat it makes you feel sick, maybe don't eat it. I don't know. But don't call it bad. Don't say it's bad. That implies that some foods are good and some foods are bad. It's just some foods have qualities that other foods don't. Some foods may be good emotionally, but be bad healthfully or whatever. So I just think we have to be careful anyway. 
Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. Well, this was really an eye-opening conversation, really powerful. So thank you, Betsy, for sharing and being so open and vulnerable with everyone today. And if the list, yeah. if any of our listeners, if you guys have any feedback or comments, we do have a form now in our show notes. We'd love to hear from you what you think of this subject. If you have personal stories you want to share, we would love to hear from you. That's and actually come on and, and, and we could do a health transformation audit and, and we can talk, you know, if you feel like this was helpful and you want to talk about your own story and your journey, we do these 15 minute quick episodes and it's anonymous. It's except for your name. We certainly don't have to be on YouTube video or anything. And yeah, we're, we're here to listen and to provide that safe space for you. So, and Betsy, I know you've answered this question before, but I think it changes for people over time. One thing we like to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? I think the art of living well means loving yourself unconditionally and making choices based on that self-love, living your life in alignment with that self-love. Well said. Well said. Yeah. (laughs) I'm really honored to have been here with both of you. I, I know and adore you both separately and together. So thank you for also allowing me to share some of, some of this journey um, with you and with your listeners. And um, I appreciate your kindness while I, while I offer some of that, some of that story, which is challenging to, to share. So thank you for letting this be a safe space for me as well. I appreciate it very much. You're welcome. welcome. And thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thanks. And who knows, I'm sure at some point there's going to be a, a part four to this, <laughs> to this story with you, Betsy, you're going to be our longest or our most frequent guest. <laughs> I'm happy to be here anytime. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook, where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.